Well, hello, church family. Uh, today we're going to look at Exodus 32. Uh, this is a familiar passage, to, at least this portion of scripture should be familiar to us because this is a uh, you know the the, the port about the story here about the golden calf, um, <clears throat> just by way of kind of giving us a running start what the the passage is. Uh, this from chapter basically twenty twenty seven twenty seven twenty six um, or twenty five and on up until this point it was all of these different laws about how to worship God. They were supposed to not have, or they were supposed to have this type of altar that's uniquely consecrated for the Lord. There's will have the Ark of the Covenant. There's will have the priests and even a special priest, uh, priestly garments. And each of these things are all part of uh, the, t- uh, the the worship out in the tent. Um, there's a time of Israel history where they've just left Egypt and they're going from, and through the wilderness, uh, from you know, the wilderness to the promised land and God gives them instruction on how they're to worship <clears throat> and throughout the whole time I shared how this is a grace of God that God revealed himself in this way that uh, the, the Israelites understand what they are supposed to do uh, in order to be, uh, worship God and the ark and everything is supposed to be a sign to show them that God is in their midst that they are not just um, that they're not just worshiping some uh, object but that god is actually with them uh, they're, uh, uh, that they're supposed to show uh, you know that all the victories that they will have is not because of that golden box it's not because of the people dressed in uh, the clothing but because of yahweh uh, delivered them they will look different they will dress different they're even supposed to worship different now we get to this point part of scripture where it's like, kind of like a slight backslide uh, it's a part of the, about the golden calf uh, so like, um, like we did on the last episode, I'm just going to talk through or read through this text and just kind of explain it as well as give us some application and things to think about. <clears throat> so chapter 32, verse one. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, come make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now, this first verse already shows you that the Israelites are, uh, they're not that particularly resilient and patient. Uh, it's, I mean, you have to give them some sympathy in a sense that like, okay, he, he's been there for a while. Um, in Deuteronomy, it's explained that he's, Moses was gone for 40 days. So this doesn't explain, uh, this doesn't explain when in that 40 days it happened. It's just that like at some point when he was gone and it delayed to return, the Israelites got nervous, and they got to a point where they're just wondering, like, "Hey, um, what are we supposed to do now?" Oh, it seems like Moses is gone and not returned. That Moses that took it, that brought us out of Egypt, he's gone. Let's just make a let's let's make a, a god, um, and and to worship him. <clears throat> it shows you that actually that they lack faith because it's not like Moses just walked away. Moses went up the mountain they, and they saw this cloud and this thunder, so they could just look up and know that he's up there. But they just, I guess, they could presume that he died up there. Uh, but they, but again, like uh, the priest, uh, the, the other priest that was with Moses should have told them, no, uh, Moses is up with God. Um, he's going to come back <clears throat> with, with God's word. <clears throat> but this shows you, again, their lack of faith, even though right in front of them or above them is the mountain. <clears throat> and there's the, and God is, you know, there with the cloud and thunders. So this is still going on, but yet they are asking for an idol. <clears throat> 
Verse 2, Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Uh, so this is, is interesting. The sons have earrings too. So for, so for some of you think, hey, earrings is a sin. Just understand that the people in the Exodus had earrings too. He um, told them, give them all their gold. And that's what they did. Uh, then all the people tore off their gold rings which were in the ear, their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graven tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. So uh, what was going on here is that <clears throat> Aaron just basically Tell them, not, you know, give us, give me your gold. <clears throat> this is all the gold that they got when they were leaving Egypt. And, and also just to give you guys some context, this is not all of Israel. <clears throat> this is just the majority of them. So there are some people that are faithful. Uh, and, but for some reason, this group, and you know, there's like 2 million people out there. This is probably just a small group of them that, uh, that just chose to ask Aaron, hey, can we, can you help us make this golden idol? And Aaron does it foolishly he does it he makes this thing and then and um it's in, and what's interesting is actually verse four said this is your god and it's in, it, the word here is actually elohim uh, it's the word that's just the general uh word to mean like like a, a, it, it can refer to god of israel or it could refer to a pagan god it's just a general word here so he builds this thing but then in verse five aaron calls so it tells them that tomorrow shall be the feast of Yahweh to the to the feast of Yahweh. This this gives us the implication that Aaron actually doesn't think that what they are doing is idolatry because Aaron is also confused, just like everyone else. He he was actually supposed to be the one that um, that knows what's going on, but for whatever reason, there's some backsliding or forgetfulness. He forgets that hey, yeah, Moses is supposed to come back down with the tablets, but for some, but he himself also in this moment of foolishness committed some sort of sin. <clears throat> And verse six, so the next day they rose early uh, and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and people sat down to eat and drink to, and rose up to play. So this is these people that just decided to go and worship this thing. Now, just from these few verses, just a general principle that we understand that idolatry reduces God to something small. I, I, idolatry or, or some sort of false worship is always reduction of the real thing. When we think about the reason why we fall into sin, it's always because we want something smaller. We want something less. We we desire something that is not as great as God. God is the God of the universe, yet we choose a little golden idol. And maybe not be like, in some cases, it may not be like an actual golden idol. And just again, to let you guys know, a golden idol back then in archaeology, Jake Baal, like the, the God they worship, is only about six inches high. You know, that's not that big. But yet people still bow down to it. And they, even the, in Jeremiah, he was insulting them about how like the Israelites, how they would build this wooden God. And then they actually realize, oh, wait, I need firewood. So they break up part of the wooden God to make fire. You know, this is, just shows the, the stupidity of sin and idol worship. But that's, a, that's the same way for all of us, right? We are called to follow and worship God. We are made to delight in him. But yet we find our satisfaction in something just so much lesser than God, right? Whether it's your job, whether it's your education, whether it's your family, whether it's even your church, you find all of these things more desirable than God himself. And that's a form of idolatry. And that's what's going on here. They thought that um, they're worshiping a true God, but they realized they're just uh, 
reducing God to something smaller. They reduced God to this golden image that they made, that they could carry around and, and like bow down to. Uh, and that's actually not even what God expected, because God this again violated the commandment about uh, you, know, you should not make a graven image of me. But again, this is like they're failing in multiple levels here. <clears throat> Verse seven. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, "Go down at once, for your people, whom you brought out up from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside uh, from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf, and have worshipped it." and have sacrificed to it and said this is your god o Israel, who brought you up from the land of egypt yahweh said to moses i have seen those people and behold they are an obstinate people now let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that i may destroy them and i will make of you a great nation so god actually describes to moses his the the, the israelite sin he tells them exactly what's going on and what they're doing and he's offended by it, and he wants to destroy them because he is, um, you know, they've sinned against them. They, God had delivered them over and over again. They are supposed to know that Yahweh is a true God, not something that they made with their hand. But yet they still chose to turn to something that's just so uh, foolish and, and, you know, fake, something that they created themselves. Again, before we judge them, we need to look in our own hearts as well. Every single time that we desire something more in those fleeting moments, whether it is whatever sin it may be, we're actually saying in that moment that that, that sin is more desirable than God, uh, that lust is more desirable than, uh, than pleasing the Lord, that um, that lying tongue that we, uh, that is, you know, the things that we say about people or lies, that th doing that act is more uh, pleasurable than, and then speaking truth, you know, we, 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 we give up the things that is pleasing to the Lord and to do something that's sinful. And God knows it. God knows all the detail of our sins. He knows every little single one of them. And, um, and he's, and he has a just anger towards us because we are deserving of his wrath, especially if we're believers, right? Believers, when we fall into sin, we become practical atheists. So this is a, again, a call for us to live holy lives that, in the way that we live, it should reflect the things that God uh, has said, because he knows our sins. He knows every single one, and he knows them in detail, and we are called to uh, obey him and to, and to keep his commandments. Verse 11, Then Moses entreated Yahweh his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought out from the land with great power and with a mighty hand? So God, so Moses here, he's interceding for his people. He's actually doing the job of a priest here. He's trying to appeal to God because they are his people. He's trying to uh, basically, he's not really, this, the, these few passages seems like he's kind of like, it makes it seem like he's like telling God and informing God what's going on. And that's not the case. This is more like him trusting God. They're like, God, this is, this, this is what you reveal to me about you, about yourself to, um, uh, yeah, these are things that you've revealed about yourself to me, and I'm just trying to declare to you the faith that I have. That's what Moses is doing here. He's not informing God of anything he doesn't know. He's just uh, reiterating his own faith. Uh, he's, he's doing the work of an intercessory priest. He's basically um, stepping in the people to try to uh, intervene so that they don't get destroyed. Verse 12, why should the Egyptians speak saying with evil intent? He brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to them. So again, this is appeal to God's reputation. He's saying that 
he doesn't want God's name to be tainted because at this point the Egyptians not all Egyptians are dead they're just now some somewhat fearful they, they're aware of Yahweh and they don't want and Moses doesn't want people to look down on him there's that fear that doesn't lead to repentance they're just afraid of Yahweh and that's why they told him to leave um, <clears throat> and, and, and Moses is just appealing to God's reputation here he's, he's uh, basically reminding himself and even like kind of reiterating uh, what he knows about God how he doesn't want uh, his glory to be tainted by Israel's sin and lastly, we see that God's, he, uh, Moses is appealing to God's reliability. Thir verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servant to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants at the stars of the heavens and all this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. Um, this is again telling him, like, I can remember the promise that you made to the forefathers that if you destroy all of us, then you make yourself... Um, a liar and he's and again this is all Moses declaring his faith because these are all the things that he's heard from the Lord and he's saying these things uh, really to work in his own heart and it says here so the Lord changed his mind about about the harm which he said he would do to his people now I said this in a sermon not that long ago in John Ayers that this is called uh, anthropopathism so anthropomorphic that's like the you know hand when God doesn't really have a hand or face or feet or anything like that but when, when those things are used as well to convey a different meaning so that we can understand kind of like a big concept. That's anthropomorphism. Anthropopathism is used, it's ascribing to God a kind of human emotion because that's the closest thing that we can uh, use to describe what, he, what God has done. So God doesn't change his mind in the sense that he does not, he's not sovereign over his will or that he doesn't know what's going on. Rather, he, he knows. It's just that in, from Moses' perspective, it seems as though God changed his mind. <clears throat> and that's just the, the only word that he could use to describe what's happening. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't know what's happening, much like even before. It's not like God doesn't know about the promise he made to Abraham. It's not like God doesn't know about the fact that he delivered uh, Israel out of Egypt. And it's not like he doesn't know that Israel is his people. He knows all of these things. It's just at the moment, it's just like it just seems as though what he's appealing to the Lord is just that's just the, the the closest word that he could think of and use to describe what's happening here. Verse fifteen. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets which were written on both sides, and they were written on one side and the other. The tablets were God's work, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. Now when Joshua heard the sound of people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There's a sound of war in the camp. But he said, it is not a sound of cry of triumph. It is not a sound of cry, of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. I think this is Joshua saying that like he's here, he hears something. And then, um, but then he realizes, like, listen carefully, like closely, like, hey, that's not right. That's actually something else. <clears throat> Verse 19, it came about as soon as Moses came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing and the Moses' anger burned. And he threw the tablets from his hand and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. Is in some ways, it's saying <clears throat> it's almost like a, a symbolic gesture of what Israel did. They broke God's law. They uh, <clears throat> Moses literally broke the tablet, but then Israel broke it in terms of the commands of Scripture. He broke it, he, so he smashed this thing in front of them. Verse 20, he took the cap which they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and sh scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. Now, when you read this, it's not like he's telling all, all the people to line up you know, it's not like he ground, ground this idol into pieces and then, like, um, you know, force them all to line up and drink it. 
Rather, it seems to indicate that he, 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 he made this, you know, he, he burned it up, made it into powder, put in the drink, so that when they drink water, <clears throat> every time they drink water, they, it, it becomes waste. And this is to show them that this is just what their God is. It's just, it's, it's, it's done. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, waste. It's not anything that's real because it's garbage. <clears throat> and that's what he's trying to get at here, is to show them that the idol that they've been worshiping is nothing. Verse 20, then, then Moses said to Aaron, what did, the, what did this people do this to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? So you know, he's actually asking Aaron, he's like, you should know better. What are you doing? Why did they do such great evil? Aaron said, do, do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself, you know the people yourself, that they are prone to evil. And this is the blame shifting here. For they said to me, make a God of us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has come of him, which is true. They, uh, you know, they again, they don't know what what, uh, what has come of him. Uh, I said to them, whoever has any gold, let him tear off his ear. So they gave it to me. I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Now, obviously, this is like not even like convincing, right? Aaron's response is self-serving, trying to protect them. So, hey, it's like, hey, not my fault. I'm just doing what they're telling me to do. And look, I just threw it in there, and this, this golden calf just happened to come out, which is obviously not true because that's not how things work, you know? Like, it's not like it pops out there. And the, the verse 25, the words, when Moses, when and now when, this is almost like in the, in the original, it seems like, I would imagine in the original, it's the way to describe in the original, it's like, it's almost like he had a huge eye roll, like, I cannot believe you just said that. Like, that just makes zero sense. Verse 25. Now, when Moses saw that the people were out of control for Aaron, uh, for Aaron had let them out, get out of control to be a uh, desertion among the enemy, derision among the enemy. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered to, uh, together to him. He said to them, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother and every man his friend and every man his neighbor so the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed and about 3,000 men of people fell that day and Moses said dedicate yourselves today to the Lord for every man has been against his son and against his brother in order that he may bestow a blessing upon them so this is Israel uh, failing to do what God wants them to do. Right? This is Israel's uh, failure to do uh, to live up to uh, God's standard, and then they were killed for it. Um, they were struck by um, their own countrymen, and this is something that, as we see it, we think, "Oh, that's so messed up. Why would God do something like that?" But that's only because we don't take sin seriously. Um, sin needs to be cut off sin needs to be radically removed in our life and the, these people that caused this like the people that asked Aaron to go and make this calf for them uh that's actually why Aaron was spared because because these are the people that initiated Aaron was just dumb enough to do it um, but these individuals they the people that lacked faith is because they did not uh they you know they backslid and they had in some cases even they had this unbelief um and they were just, and they were killed for it. And this is what we, uh, it, this is in a lot of ways, it seems harsh, but that's because, again, we don't see sin that, we don't take sin that seriously. That's why these passages, like, bothers us, because sin doesn't bother us the way that it should. And 
Aaron and Moses tells them that, okay, this is for us to know and to show us that sin is not something that you can play with. That when you fall into sin, there will be great consequences. And again, this is a lesson for us that in time, sin, it takes time to grow and it needs to be taken seriously. Because if you let sin grow, if you continue to harbor sin, not repent or confess to the Lord, what will eventually happen is that sin will grow and manifest and it will destroy you. Right? This is what James chapter 1 talks about, about how sin, when it gives birth, it's because of our own lust. And when, we, and when that thing matures, it's going to destroy us. And that's what's happening here. And, the, and these, these Israelites, these 3,000 or so, they, in their hearts, were turned away from the Lord. And this is their outward manifestation of that. Verse 30, On the next day, Moses said to the people, You yourselves have committed a great sin. Now I'm going to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, the people has committed a great sin, and they have made a god of gold for themselves. <clears throat> but now, if you will forgive their sins, and if, if and if not, please blot me out from your book, which you have written. The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go on, but go now, lead the people where I told you, and behold, my angel shall go before you. <clears throat> Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord smote the people because for what they have done with the calf which Aaron had made. Again, this is just a reminder that no one, uh, uh, like, in, like that sin needs to be taken seriously. And if no one takes God seriously when it comes to sin, the consequence is serious. That's why the, Bi- the Bible speaks very highly of sin in the sense that it's like something that you do not mess with. I mean, it, was, it took one sin to cripple the entire created order. And it's that one sin that will send us to hell if we don't turn from it. And again, this shows us the severity of, of sin and the holiness of God. I've been saying this the last few weeks that God's holiness is something we think about that he isn't just holy in terms of separated from all of creation, like he's not just only distinct, but he's absolutely pure morally. That he cannot look upon sin the way that humanity looks upon sin. When God looks at sin, he sees evil and this is against him. He's offended by it. When we look at sin, sometimes we rationalize it. And that's what these Israelites did. And that's something that we need to remind ourselves to not do. When it comes to sin, never rationalize sin. Because if you keep rationalizing it and you keep compromising, 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 eventually the sin will catch up to you. And the result of that is death. Now, you need to ask yourself this question. What are some of the idols that are in your own life? You may not have a golden calf or some sort of statue that you worship that you actually bow down to. But what are the things in your life that you find that you desire more uh, than, than God? Is it your own health? Is it your wealth? Is it um, What are the things that you find yourself cherishing more than the Lord? Understand that when you do those things, you're lowering God. To some, you're lowering the true God to something else. You're reducing God to something that is just so much smaller than what, what he really is. And we're worshiping something that does not last, no perish, just like this little golden calf here. And so I ask for all of us to really consider what are the things in our life that we need to get rid of? Because remember, we're called to cut out sin in our life. The New Testament, Jesus says, there's some, if your eye causes you to stumble and you cut it out, it's better to lose part of your eye is literally lose your eye and have your whole body cast into flame and it goes the same thing with the hand and the feet that's the idea of where you're what you see and what you do with your hands and where you go with your feet cut those things out of your life 
it's better to lose those momentary pleasures of sin than to go through eternity of suffering in hell. Well, that's it for chapter 32. We're going to look at chapter 33 uh, this Friday, and uh, hopefully we'll finish this before the end of June. Uh, Thanks for listening. Take care and have a great day.